A giant asteroid has been smashed, but monsters have taken over. Let's travel the post-apocalyptic distance in Love and Monsters. You know, that was one thing I liked. I liked it that it wasn't like the debris from the asteroid that created the monsters. It's the rockets that destroyed that. Yeah, asteroid. that is interesting. That is interesting. <laughs> I like that backstory, but I'm sure we'll talk about that. <laughs> Welcome back to Monsters vs. Men. This is the bargain basement of Monster Podcasting Airwaves. This week, as we try to stay alive, we're discussing, of course, Love and Monsters. I'm Eric. And I'm Alex. And Alex. This is kind of like a bonus monster madness episodes uh because we've gone through our sweet 16 right yeah we went through our sweet 16 we watched every film that made it to the elite eight and now the elite eight are uh matched up against each other and this was a film that we wanted to to watch it was a film that um lost but a film that we definitely wanted wanted to see um that was recent so we chose it to to showcase here as we make our way to the final, the finale uh, of our Monster Madness. So this week, Alex, for our Elite Eight matchups, we had Troll Hunter versus Attack the Block. Uh, Troll Hunter, the one seed, won in both categories, both the Twitter and the Patreon categories. Oh, okay. Troll Hunter beat Attack the Block, which I, I, was, dis- I was disappointed in that. I agreed with that one. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, man, I like attack. I like attack the block quite a I do, bit. I do too. I like attack the block quite a bit too. But I, I do like troll hunter more than attack the block. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think I rated them the same, maybe. But I think I like. Attack I think the you block. liked attack the block more than you did troll. I, I did. I, I definitely would watch attack the block if I had to choose between one right now. I'd watch attack the block. 100%. Even though you can see Hans again in troll hunter. <laughs> Hans is great. <laughs> uh, and then we had the host again the one seed versus the three seed that pulled the upset underwater and mm. the host kind of d- took down underwater pretty profoundly so yeah i'm not surprised this is considered I, that makes sense i i think the host is the host might be my favorite of these sweet 16 movies um yeah. so yeah. yeah i am not surprised to see the host do yeah, so well i think i ranked underwater higher than the host actually but i would agree that the host is a better movie yeah you you yeah. might have actually <laughs> well i think you may have tied it i don't know what you gave the host but you gave, uh, I gave the host four and a half I okay okay yeah you gave it a little higher i think i gave it an a i gave i think i gave it a four i can't remember yeah now this week we've got uh the one seed colossal versus the two seed the ritual and the two seed the mist versus the one seed how from beyond the fog? Oh, that's gonna. Those are gonna be interesting because I don't know how that mist one's gonna go. I don't either. And the ritual. That's that. Yeah, that that ritual and um, colossal colossal vote. That's that's probably the hardest one for me. Ooh, that one's not hard for me. Oh uh, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. You you didn't like colossal as much as I did. I like the ritual quite a bit. So ritual would be my choice. And then how from beyond the fog versus the mist. How from Beyond the Fog would definitely be my choice. There. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, well, that's a. 
I I would probably put pick how beyond the fog as well. But the thing is with that one is less people have seen it. Oh so. yeah. I, I think the miss could definitely pull this upset. I really do. So we'll see this week. I wish it was paired the other way, but uh, we can't change the bracket, Alex. I, I wish know. it was uh, the colossal versus the mist. That happens all the time. And, then and I wish, I wish colossal could take down the mist because uh, the myth, something I wish- will take down the mist. You don't have to worry about the mist coming in number one, at least. I don't think so either. But then uh, the ritual versus how beyond the fog. I think the ritual could could potentially put make that upset, but I don't think it's going to beat Colossal. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I voted for Colossal. <laughs> but see, the way I view this bracket, Alex, is I also view it kind of it. It may not be the greatest monster movie of the 21st century so far, but it's pr- maybe the one that is the most monsters versus minish of all these movies so far. Right. Yeah, maybe. Um, and so that's, that's another way that I've been thinking about it. So I think what we have so far makes a lot of sense for if, when we consider that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'd agree. All right. Well, let's talk about love and monsters. Shall we? Yeah. All right. Giant snails, crabs, and insects roam the landscape of Michael Matthews' first major release, Love and Monsters. Despite not achieving roaring box office success being released in October of 2020, Love and Monsters seemed to satisfy critics and audiences alike. It currently sits at a 93% for critics and 89% for audience on Rotten Tomatoes. Are these numbers appropriate for the film we got, or are these reactions an overshot, Alex? Hmm. So, uh, I'm of two minds. Uh, about that. So if I compared it to some of the movies that we really liked that got scored like too low, uh, I'm thinking something like underwater or something like that, maybe. Um, then, you know, yeah, maybe it did go too high, but if I compared it to how I feel about the film, I think this is appropriate. Uh, I really enjoyed the film. This isn't something necessary that I think critics would have like, lambasted i i'm not lambasted but would have praised so highly 93 is that's high of course we do have to remember eric when something has a 93 percent, that just means it's got a six to a 10 or a three to a five star rating that doesn't mean that everyone thinks that this is a nine out of a Mm -hmm. nine out of ten movie so we do have to keep that in mind when we think about these scores on rotten tomatoes Mm -hmm. Now, Not that we've, I don't think we've ever, I don't think we really talk about Rotten Tomatoes on this show, but generally speaking, but yeah, I mean, 89% for audience though, is pretty high as well. That is, that is high. We don't see critics and audiences gravitate to movies like this in similar ways. We, we, we do see, we do see it sometimes, but it is unusual. And for this film in particular, I do kind of feel like I can't believe critics love it this much. Like maybe 60% mm. or maybe 70 But uh, 90 is pretty high, but it, it agrees with me, so I'm not going to complain with it too much. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So I, I think I, I really enjoyed this film. Like it, it has some really fun and cool ideas that are executed really well. It's got some interesting themes and actually like that play out in ways that I really appreciated in the story. Mm. And mm-hmm. I really like the characters. And honestly, like... There's very little in this movie that I'm down on because everything I thought I would be down on turned on its head. And I like that about it. So this is a fun movie with some just like kind of some interesting questions in it. Well, unfortunately, Alex, I beg to differ. 
I think the film feels rather safe and generic overall. Uh, and I think this is a case of, as you said, like Rotten Tomatoes score doesn't mean that this is a nine out of 10 movie. You just need a three out of five to get a fresh rating from a critic. Mm-hmm. Right. And this feels like a safe three out of five rating um, for at least that's that's what I would say uh, after watching it. And I won't get too much into my criticisms yet, but I'll go ahead and apologize to one of our patrons, you know, not William Eubanks, Justin Swift, <laughs> because <laughs> as he revealed a couple of weeks ago, he's a fan of the screenwriter here, Brian Duffield, who also wrote the screenplay for Underwater. And as I learned that, and I, as I kind of put those pieces together, I've got to say between those two, I think Underwater is just a better film. It worked better than Love and Monsters. Uh, but I think you can see some similarities between the two. They have quick pacing, quirky dialogue, the voiceovers, the way their main protagonists go on this journey to find themselves. As I said, I'll share my criticisms here in a few minutes. Um, but did you notice any of these similarities between the film and Underwater? Or are they more apparent to you now that you know that they have the same screenwriter? Well, here's how I feel about that type of comparison. Uh, you know, I think you could compare them like you just did drive some similarities between these movies pretty i think you could do that pretty easy uh but you can still movies into 2d parts really easily uh we could link a lot of movies that we've seen together with very similar that really don't have much in common i don't really think it gives criticisms any credence when it's done that way though which is why we talk about movies so in detail um you know, like, yeah, it has voiceover. Yeah, Underwater had four lines of voiceover. But the voiceover that's done in these movies are so different. They have virtually no similarities other than there's a voiceover. So I don't know if that's a good comparison. And most movies have journeys with characters where they find out something about themselves. But yes, you know, the, I will admit both of these movies do have journeys into unfamiliar territory, alien territory in some ways. And but that being said, I do I do think the film does a really great job with its characters, just like Underwater. I really like these characters. Like I think I like Joel, who is over eager, yearning for like this attachment that tethers him to this past before the incident where his parents are killed. He wants to go back to them. Before uh, before he just became so traumatized that he freezes in front of these monsters mm-hmm. and running across, and then he runs across the legendary boy who is just wonderful. I love I love boy. I love that he has this little van that he opens and closes the door. I like that he has this personality and that he has this cherished item that he loves. It gives this dog so much character. <laughs> and it doesn't even like need to talk, you know, with all these mutants around, you could easily make this doc talk, uh, mm-hmm. but they, they opted not to for good reason. Um, and then we get characters like Clyde and Minnow who are like these wonderful, fun characters who have their own hardships that they've recently experienced. And, but they're still pretty positive about the world. You know, they leave this impression on, uh, on Joel, like they drag him to his feet so that he can survive in the new world. And then we get a character like Mavis, who I think is just wonderful. I love this robot and I hated to see it go. But one of the things I loved about Mavis is that she shows Joel that there's still beauty in the world. And she does that by pointing out, you know, the, <laughs> the harmless jellyfish by do by revealing, you know, showing his past to him. 
and just showing like this real tenderness and kindness to caring about him in this wasteland. I really like that. And then we get a character like Amy, who is Amy was my biggest concern in this film from the mm-hmm. get go. Uh, you know, it's this aspect of the film that I I really liked what they did. So I, I was worried that they would he would get there because you know that they, they kind of joke about what could happen the whole time he's going over there. Like yeah, <laughs> when he you you do wonder like is he going to get there and they just fall in love and Joel's grand romantic gesture will be all that it took to win her over, which would have been awful. I would have absolutely hated that. But it turns out that she is the opposite of Joel. She's given up on the old world. She's moved on. She's found love. She's lost love. And she's not looking to connect to her past at all. And for her, there's just more pain in the past than comfort, which is not what Joel is sees in her, which I really like. And what I like, though, is that when they do end up liking each other in the film, it is earned. It's not a... Because Joel even finds himself before they do decide to get together. He mm-hmm. it, There's a feeling that he is confident and he is okay with moving on. Of course, she starts to drop signals that she is interested in him and he does pick up on those. And so they do get together. But I do feel like Joel was now in that space that he was comfortable with himself and being where he is in the world. All that confidence he built while trekking over those seven days and all that. And, you know, I haven't really even mentioned like the poignant moment where there's that grass is always greener when he gets to her settlement and he looks at the back of the map and he realizes that all these relatively two dimensional characters at his old home genuinely loved him and cared about him much more than he ever realized, which is, I could say, probably true for everybody. We all have people in our lives like that, that we don't really take into account how much the people around us really care. But because he was so focused on everyone being a couple that he saw himself as like this isolated entity, not able to, you know, this is love and monsters. He's by himself. He has this inability to contribute in a way that is meaningful to him, killing monsters, that he kind of didn't realize that everyone around him loved him. So yeah, like like underwater, I love these characters. Alex, I was about to make a joke about that just being the end of our episode right there, <laughs> that you were going on for so long. I know. <laughs> but then I realized, well, you seem like you actually care about the, this movie, so I better not make a joke, even though I mentioned it. <laughs> But uh, I'll get on to my criticism in a second, but let, let me add on to your praise uh, of the film for a second and what I think it does really well. I think it focuses on the right characters. You know, if Joel's our centerpiece here, and he is, we don't need that much time with the crew at the beginning of the film. Um, they're just this piece of the puzzle, and we get just enough with them. Second, I think the world building works. Uh, specifically, that voiceover at the beginning. It's quick. It's simple. It's to the point. In this style of film, where it has more of a light tone, mm-hmm. I think that that voiceover background information, it works fine to help us as the audience settle into this world. We need to know who are these characters, what have they gone through, and how do we get here? And we get all of that in just a few minutes of background information. And I also really like the monster design. I mean, you know I love me some giant anthropods like Ebra. Um, but I also like the queen sand gobbler, which was really awesome. Yes. Did you appreciate these monsters? Yeah, 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 I did. I, I really like the monsters. I like the, I, I really like the idea that it's the cold blooded animals 
that are the only ones being changed. You know, very unique and cool. And it easily explains why humans don't become mutated, why uh, Boy is still around, and things like that. Like, I, I really, it's a nice little detail uh, mm-hmm. to just have cold blooded animals be mutated. I just, I don't know. I really like that. When I heard that, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Very different, which, you know, no one's going to complain that Boy got to stick around first off. And I do think the designs also are pretty cool. Um, you can tell evolutionarily where all of these monsters used to be. Mm-hmm. Yet, they've become very alien and devastating to the world around them. Uh, the first monster we see used to be an ant. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty horrifying. <laughs> and cool. Like I really like that we get to see it eat somebody, too. Then we get... Uh, we go to Joel's frog encounter, which is awesome because now the frog, it's evolved. It's got these elevated eyes so it can see out of the water without having to poke its head up. It's got the long tongue. There's just a lot to like about these like really fun, but also sometimes scary designs. Like the, like you said, the sand gobbler, especially the queen sand gobbler. Mm-hmm. So cool. Very Tremors. I was like, oh, man. I like these Tremors inspirations surrounding this character, which is just really cool. But one of my favorite ones, may some people might even think, is like the least inspired and least mutated, and that's the giant centipede. Mm. Uh, I, but I really like it because it's absolutely horrifying. Oh, yeah. Probably because I don't yeah. like centipedes to begin with. <laughs> and so this giant one is really scary, especially when you see its face. It's like really unsettling and that whole sequence that it's involved in i found to be really great and then of course we have to mention the giant crab which is really cool i I like so you know earlier clyde mentioned uh the eyes thing you could tell by the eyes which is you know kind of like left as this humorous moment that i thought would come back into play into the film but then by the time it happened i had forgotten about it I had forgotten about the eyes thing. And so when it actually happens and Joel realizes this monster has the eyes, it, I just like it that it leads that it lends this idea that certain creatures kind of evolved in intelligence as Mm -hmm. well. And there's a noticeable, there's just this noticeable trait in some of them that indicates like this increased intelligence. I just, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I I knew that was a moment that was going to come back into play at some point. I just didn't know when it was going to come back into play. I I liked the way that it happened there at the end. But Alex, I think the reason you you like this film boils down to one reason. Oh, boy. Boy. You're right. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Boy, the dog. That that is your main reason that you love this film. I I do not agree with that. And it's one of my criticisms of the film, actually. But I'll say this. I think this film is, as I said at the beginning, safe and generic. Let me back up my claim a little bit. Mm. I think every piece of the story feels like something else to me. You've got the, the premise, the very premise of it. It's pretty much Last Kids on Earth, which is just a kid comic series and a Netflix show that came a couple years ago before this film. Not that Last Kid on Earth is highly original, but go watch that show <laughs> and you'll be like, oh, this this feels very familiar. It feels like Love and Monsters, right? Um, and then you get the boy and the dog bit, or I guess you could say the boy and boy bit, which feels like any sort of 
boy and dog bit, right? You've got the boy meets dog, boy saves dog, boy angers dog, dog leaves, dog returns, dog saves boy, right? You know, the dog's not going to be gone forever. And when we talk about like emotional manipulation in films, I think sometimes whenever you bring in an animal, you automatically have this sort of uh, manipulation that has the potential to take place here. I felt the same way about the robot, Mavis, who you appreciated. I think this is a story that's been told before. I mean, even Dragon Ball Z has a more moving but quite similar robot scenario when Gohan is saved by C6 during the Vegeta saga. Alex, remember that? <laughs> yeah. But it was better done, right? I don't know uh, about that. But And normally, I, I can't. I can let a couple of these things slide, but it's just some of these things just fell very, all right, uh, like generic, like the radio. I swear, I counted four times that the radio happens to die right at the moment of most importance. It's fine if that happens, you know, once, maybe even twice in the film, but it happens four times. It's like uh, at some point, like we got to find a new trick to get the plot from A to B. <laughs> right you can get the plot from a to b but let's find a couple new tricks to get us there and then the main conflict of the film it really isn't introduced until the last 30 minutes where we get our villains introduced given a plot twist and destroyed in quite the flurry so yeah i mean to me it just feels safe and generic overall like a film that is easy to please we've got you know this this boy learns to venture out on his own he meets a dog he meets a a talking robot that shows him his parents. He uh, meets his love, but we all know that that's not going to work out from the beginning because it's not going to be that simple. Uh, bad guys show up. They take care of the bad guys. The end. That's how. I okay. I, yeah. I don't <laughs> agree I with hard. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you said you're going to back it up, but this feels rudimentary in complaints. So I do agree with the, Four times the radio goes out. Now, only pushback I would say on that is I do think that most of the time it doesn't really put, like add this rushedness to it, uh, this like urgency to the film. I don't feel that it ever had like she's like at one time she's like oh there's people here to save us and then well the, he's not in a hurry he's like okay go I'll, I'm on my way uh, and so it's like. It's not used as this like, oh my god, I have to go right now. Except for he did what, except for the initial go to, because then he does travel back and he sees his to go see his friends. But it's more of like this cause of concern, so it didn't really bother me that much. But you do have a point. Four times of the radio disconnecting could definitely grind gears. And the, but my only thing, like your complaint about the the robot and the dog and like having ideas of other films. Every movie has ideas of other films. You can even take a movie like Tusk that we've had to endure recently, which is not a bad movie. Um, and, but that is just, that's human centipede meets the movie creep. Like that's all it is. You can distill any movie down into things that you've seen in other movies and some things you see you've done better. Some things you've done worse. So I, I can understand like maybe you have gripes with everybody living and maybe that's too safe, uh, which I think you might have a gripe with. Like, you know, maybe you're one of those sadistic people that wanted the dog to die. Eric, is that no. what you're trying to say? Is that what you're trying to say? No, but you, you heard it here first. Everybody. You would have, you would have knocked this movie down 
at least two stars that the dog would have died, Alex. No, uh, no, I wouldn't have because I, I, I'm used to the dog dying. The dog always dies. I was actually shocked when this when this one didn't die. Um, really? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, every movie I see that has a dog, it always gets killed. Because um, it's 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 easy. It depends. It's easy emotional manipulation. I here. agree. It depends <laughs> on the movie, though. Like you, you could tell right from the beginning, like the traumatic stuff has already happened, and nothing traumatic is going to happen again in this movie to any of the characters that we care about. Okay. Like I mean, you you, you know that from the beginning. Like like you can just tell, right? Like you you can bad think that, and there's movies where you can think that it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Right? Like, yeah, I'm glad it didn't, but it doesn't mean, like, it's not going to. So, mm. I mean, yeah, you found it to be predictable, but in most scenarios in a post-apocalyptic movie with a dog, the dog dies. Because it really, it usually dies towards the end of the film to make everything even more brutal. And then there's the light at the end of the tunnel. Now... I would say the tone leans itself to the dog not going, but I'd be lying if I said I did, wasn't worried when the uh, when it went for the the red towel, which I really I still really like that element of it. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can distill movies down into like I've seen this before because then that's literally every movie. I don't think you can. I don't think you can distill it down. I don't think you can distill most movies down to to I've seen this before, except whenever you just have seen it before and it's like you just know where it's heading there wasn't any surprises in this movie to me uh and so it was kind of boring honestly uh i i had offered to ask neely to to watch it with me but after i was finished i was like uh i don't know i she might have liked it actually but yeah i watched it with cc and we both really liked it yeah Yeah, to me it was just boring okay (laughs) Well, hey, on MVM Plus, we'll talk about plot points moving from A to B in Adam Wingard's commentary on GVK. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about the most boring Godzilla movie, speaking of boring, um, and a couple recommendations, a couple recommendations uh, this week, um, and a little bit of commentary on Alex as a person as he goes and uh, puts Gwen, his daughter, to bed. Oh, boy. And I'm left by myself. <laughs> But let's move on to our awards, shall we? First off, coolest character award. Alex, who'd you have? Uh, I had Mavis. Uh, I love this friendly robot. And while like programmed to do the things that she does, uh, she also does something that maybe she wasn't programmed for. Whereas like Clyde and Minnow, like I mentioned earlier, they showed Joel how to survive in the world. Mavis instills this sense of beauty and hope on top of the world that's, that could still be left, which I really like because it's this robot who doesn't have any life. And so I like that she instills these moments full of life and even Joel's old life where he gets to see a chance to see his parents again, who he claim, who he says like he doesn't even have a picture. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I really liked Mavis. I was sad to see her go. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. Is Mavis a guy or a girl? I, I think Mavis sure. is a girl. Yeah. Um, the, the the name Mavis is very. That sounds. I mean, the, it was a woman's voice, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it sound Mavis sounds feminine to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I'm gonna go with Amy. It, you you described her really well earlier, Alex. But she really is her own character, and she had the potential to be not <laughs> so much, right? <laughs> yes. Um, yes. 
I like that we mainly get the development of Joel as a character, but when we get Amy, it's obvious that she's been developing the whole time. She's a strong woman. She's a leader. She's been impacted by this experience in a way that shaped her and really made her independent. As you said, like she's loved and she's lost. Um, and that's changed her. And so she's not the same person. She's not looking to the past like Joel is. Uh, so yeah, I liked Amy as a character quite a bit. Um, and she, she definitely showed strength there at the climax when she took on uh, the three yeah. uh, money stealers. That was awesome when she does like a Captain America move where she yeah. runs and uses a shield. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect her to just like deck all three of them. And it was pretty, pretty cool. Um, what about your most memorable line award? So we haven't talked about this character yet, but it comes from Clyde. Clyde says, good instincts are earned by making mistakes. And I think that's true. Yeah. Um, I think that's how we learn and that's how we develop uh, is we make mistakes and we grow through our mistakes. So I just think it was a line of wisdom here. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. I've got the opposite of a line of wisdom, uh, but maybe a relatable line. I don't, it was by Joel. He said, I don't want to die all alone at the end of the world, which really that mindset explains his naivety uh, towards his entire pursuit towards Amy. Hmm. Uh, with uh, with an I and two E's. Um, <laughs> uh, I, re- I really like, again, I really like his naivety to just his attachment to what was and that reality that eh, that's not what it is. And he also kisses that dirty old man uh, by mistake during his passionate reunion with her. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I thought your most memorable line would be uh, the line where he says something about how he met the the greatest dog in the world or something like that. I don't know why you're giving me so many points towards the dog. Like, I, like yeah, I like the dog, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you, man. Um, what about your can't believe that acting award? Uh, you know, I'm gonna give it to Dylan O'Brien as Joel, and it's in particular the moments where he freezes that I really liked. Uh, you could tell that there's like something else going on, uh, something that he's witnessed that has kind of completely horrified him. And that happens with the ant. And then it happens again with the centipede. And of course you have that moment where he gets out, but I just think he does a really great job in this world with all these different types of characters. And for me, he's just, he's very believable. Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, I'll, I'll go with, uh, Michael Rooker as mm, Clyde. I love I Michael Rooker. I mean, he's so good. <laughs> he's great. He plays virtually like the same sort of character and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's all the same persona in a sense. Sometimes a little bit more of a bad guy, sometimes a little bit more of a good guy, but kind of a rough around the edges uh sort of gray character, you know? Um and here he plays that same type of character and I really like him though. Like he's actually you don't expect him to be um, kind, I would say, or, or quick to attach to Joel. But he's actually really supportive of Joel, um, even more than the the girl character. What's her name? Um, oh, oh, Minnow. Minnow. Uh, yeah, even more than Minnow, uh, who's a little bit resistant to to Joel at first. He he clings on to him. I I didn't even mention this one, but I did think like that plot point was a little bit rushed. Like it seemed like it was a little rushed. They automatically, they like cared for each other in about two minutes. 
you know. Um, well, it, it wasn't that short amount of time. It was really short, though. Yeah. It was really, they, they like started to care about each other in like two minutes. Was it was like, several was, days, though. It was several days and a lot of time. Uh, it didn't feel like several days. It felt very, very fast. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So I liked, I liked them as characters. Um, yeah. And they propelled Joel on his journey. So Michael Rooker as Clyde is my can't believe the acting award. And here's the part where they go from uh, to the next point. This, this, this sets them off on the next plot point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's see my what about your standout effect award Eric well it's probably the slow motion grenade throw mm. to destroy the queen um, really cool but <coughs> actually it might be right after that fact where those gross leeches almost take Joel out those yeah. things are disgusting um, and when he squeezes that one and Whatever poisonous oh, stuff comes oh, out of yeah. it, that was pretty disgusting. So that's pretty standout to me. What about you? Yeah, yeah, those were both those, those were both good. Uh, but mine would actually be the centipede trying to get boy underneath the rubber duck plaything, uh, just because it's a really harrowing thing. And again, like that centipede is horrifying. I keep calling it a centipede. It might be a millipede. Don't tell me. I don't care. Don't correct. Me. But I just love the effect. I, I'm throughout the movie. I was blown away at how good the effects were. I didn't expect them to be very good. Uh, to be quite frank, I, I thought they'd be like a little iffy. Not bad, but iffy. But these were great, great effects. Uh, but I just love that it convincingly throws the real duck to the side, and it just looks good. I'm, I was impressed by it. That whole scene is harrowing. Yeah. Henry has already texted you from the first time you called it a centipede, Alex. So I know. I'm sure. He didn't get that warning at this point. (laughs) (laughs) What about your, oh, that's a good shot award? So there's this awesome shot where Joel, it's it's right after he meets Boy, he stays the night over there and they're walking across the, uh, just the landscape. You know, you get that Lord of the Rings walking shot. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But it's overhead, and he's walking over this bridge uh, while him and Boy are embarking on this journey. And so the bridge is, like, partially destroyed on the right side. And there's a bus that's laying in the water. And if you're paying attention, you see that there's this giant insect pinned underneath it. And it's just this awesome piece of visual storytelling. Like... You can immediately picture what happened. Like this bus ran into this insect. They both went over the bridge and it pinned it underwater and killed it. And probably killed everybody in the bus too. And so I just, it's a blink and you miss it moment. But I just kind of, I love visual storytelling like that. I, I did miss that, but that sounds really, really cool. Yeah, I missed that completely. That's awesome. Um, to me, there's another one of those shots where it is kind of that, quick storytelling piece, maybe a little bit metaphorical. It's from inside the ho- one of the houses and you see Joel kind of walking by and from the inside, you see this giant insect and then that giant insect, you're like, Oh man, that's intimidating. But then that giant insect is eaten by another giant insect. And you're like, uh Oh, <laughs> um, because <laughs> yeah. you know, that's just the world that we're living in uh, where the monsters just keep getting bigger and bigger. So yeah, that was my, uh, oh, that's a good shot of Ward. 
All right. All right, Eric, what's your rating and ranking? And did yeah. it deserve its place to uh, not be voted anywhere in? <laughs> I think it did deserve its place to not be voted in our Elite Eight, but I think it deserved its place in its Sweet 16. I'm a little bit hesitant because it sounds like you really like connected to this movie, Alex. But Oh, yeah. yeah this, this was not for me. Urs- Ursula Le Guin, Alex, once wrote, there's Jesus. a point around the age of 20 when you have to choose whether to be like everybody else the rest of your life or to make a virtue of your peculiarities. For Droll, his coming-of-age peculiarity became his ability to make sense of the world above his shelter and communicate hope to the rest of the world. Unfortunately, for the rest of this movie, the peculiarities are few and far between, and we're left with beat after beat that just feels like something else. And while I didn't have a hard time watching this, um, nor was I offended by it in any sort of way, like maybe I was with The Mist, this isn't a film that I'm going to be revisiting anytime soon or a film that I'm going to remember for very long. So with that said, I'm giving it a 2.5 out of 5. Wow. Yeah, I, I really like this film from uh, stem to stern. I think it's a, I think it's actually a unique vision. And it really knows what it wants to be. It wants to tell a fun story about people that have dealt with devastating losses. And I think it succeeds. Like like Love and Monsters, there's a lot that I love here. I love the, the themes, the characters, the monsters, and the story. And unlike you, this is one that I'll be thinking about and recommending to probably everybody. Like, this is just a really fun movie that is really interesting to me. So I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. 4.5. Yep. Wow. That is high. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's like a 9 out of 10, man. Yeah, it might it might be that your disdain for it made me like it even more. I think so, honestly. <laughs> I, no, I'm but curious, I really... Like, like what are you going to be thinking about with this movie? I just really like how it handled its characters. I, I'm, I'm just, like, I'm going to be thinking about how it handled its Amy moments. I'm going to be mm-hmm. thinking about I like Mavis, and I'm really going to be thinking about when he flips over that map and he sees all the people that really loved him, and he didn't realize it. He didn't realize how much people cared about him. And I want to be thinking about the fun monster stuff too, of course. But th- those are the things that hit me. I'm like, yeah, I really, really like those elements of it. Mm. Yeah. I I see to me I just don't I don't have anything that I I cling to as anything that I am going to be thinking about like there's no there's nothing new here said like thematically or in a way that I haven't seen before and so to me it was like yeah it's 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 a serviceable film like I can see a lot to enjoy as I said I enjoyed the monsters I I wasn't in pain watching it um, it had my attention but yeah. At the end of the day, for me, it just felt a little bit boring. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. So we we disagree on this one for sure. Um, but next week we've got our next two elite eight matchups and Psycho Gorman, Alex, um, which is I think a completely different sort of film than the one we just watched. <laughs> I don't know. You'll probably think it's boring too. <laughs> no, but I, re- I really I feel I've like, never, I feel I've like never you feel betrayed, a- Alex. Yeah, no, but I've never <laughs> even seen a trailer. I never saw a trailer for Love and Monsters, and so and I haven't seen a trailer for Psycho Gorman either. So yeah, it's going to be really either. interesting to see yeah. 
for either episode. one. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see what we think about this next one. I haven't seen a trailer for either of these either, but I'm sorry you feel betrayed, Alex. Nah, maybe maybe really, you won't feel so bad next week. I don't really care. <laughs> oh, but you do. <laughs> no, I knew you wouldn't like it. After Why? I finished it, I was like, oh, yeah, Eric's not going to like this. Why? That's interesting. Why? Because it felt like a movie that wasn't in an art house theater. <laughs> lots, of things, that, lots of things that lots of things that we watch don't feel like they're in an art house theater, though. I know, I know, but I could tell. I was like, oh, nobody died. Uh, you know, it does it it. So Eric's probably gonna think. And lots I was of right people died this, in the mist. I didn't say, like the mist. Yeah, which was that was a surprise for me. Actually, the. The only thing that was surprising to me about the mist is like how much you did not like the ending. Like I knew you probably wouldn't like it, but how much you didn't like it, I was surprised by. <laughs> oh man. Well, maybe we'll feel better. I'll feel better about Psycho Gorman and you'll hate it and it'll be reverse roles next week. Maybe. You have a rhyme for next week, Alex? Um Or do you want me to go? Yeah, you go ahead. I haven't I haven't even thought about it. Um yeah. Will we throw Psycho Gorman in the trash can, or will we become a fan or a stan of the title man? Ooh, that was good. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I, don't, I didn't even hear what you said. What, what word? I can't remember you what can you, words you used to rhyme. So I'm just going to say, does Psycho Gorman belong in a bedpan, or is it something that we're going to become great big fans of? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, it, was, it was halfway there. <laughs> it was halfway there. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod. On Letterboxd, we're Alex Cornette and Eric Neely. Email us, mvmpod at gmail.com. Or leave us feedback at mvmpod so that you can let us know how right or wrong we are on this review, which we're split on. Oh, man. Support us yeah. on Patreon at patreon.com slash mvmpod and receive weekly bonus off-the-cuff episodes. And if you feel so led, leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews really help. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornette. Executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, Senor Honda, Jude the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week, Try, Try to stay, stay alive. alive during your seven-day journey. And here's the part where they go from uh, to the next point. This 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 sets him off on the next plot point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>